the children, all of them shared within their own capacity this great love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we want to see what is the nature of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What happens to people who receive this gift? What signs are there? And what preparation we can have in order to develop love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And also then about love of Allah for such people. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves them. So this is inshallah Allah our topic and right at the beginning we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us not only to understand and grasp this topic but also also to experience inshallah this love for him. Uh, in order to have uh, very organized and systematic, structured and scholarly discussion after lots of thinking, I decided to choose uh, a section of Al-Mahajjatul Baywar for our discussion. Because I didn't want to just uh, give some lectures, I wanted to, inshallah, have a comprehensive discussion as much as time permits. In order to appreciate this book, I have to introduce two important personalities. One is Abu Hamid Muhammad Ghazali. The other is Mullah Muhsin Faiz Karshani. A very outstanding figure from Sunni world and a very outstanding figure from the Shia world. Two of the best examples of scholarship from both traditions of Islam have contributed to this work. I don't know how much you are familiar with Ghazali. Ghazali is one of the greatest scholars in the Sunni world. And for sure, when it comes to Orientalist, is one of the few people at the top that they know and they write about and they refer to. He's very uh, well known and respected. He has many books and Although he was Ash'ari, but he had also great interest in uh, spirituality, in Sufism, or mysticism. And one of his great works is Ihya'u Ulum al-Din, Revival of the Sciences of Religion. 
This is one of the masterpieces on the science of akhlaq in Islam. Very important book, Ihya Ulum al-Din. He has very interesting also life, if you uh, get a chance, please uh, study about him, you find lots of literature about him. And it is very interesting that he, like many other people, experienced difficulties of life, beginning with being orphaned. His father was a, he said, was a very committing, committed person, used to attend lectures of ulama, of fuqaha, and taking his two sons with him, but soon he died. And he asked someone to be his guardian and look after these two sons with the money that he had left. But after some time, the guardian said, now the money is finished and I am not able to look after you. You have to join madrasa or hose or seminary and rely on the little monthly gift that they give to the students. So from young age, he started his studies. He was born in the city of Tus. You know Tus? Tus is near Mashhad. Tus used to be a very important city when Mashhad was not yet a city. So Tus was very important. And for a study, he went to Neshabur. He went to the hub of learning in that region. And there is a beautiful story that he says he took a great lesson from that story. When he was studying, he used to take lots of notes. One of the important uh, recommendations in Islam is to take notes. I see you are taking notes with your brain, but Islamically, it's very good if you take notes. Hadith says, You have to capture and you know, preserve knowledge by writing. There is a very beautiful hadith that Rasulullah said to one of his writers, one of his kotab, uh, when he wanted to leave for a break to do some errands, Rasulullah said, don't put the pen on the floor. Put the pen behind your left ear. You see, today, you know, some people, you know, some technicians, they put the pen here. Rasulullah advised this. It means that it has to be always handy, and also maybe it shows the respect that we should show to pen. Pen is very important. Allah swears by pen. So Ghazali, as a student, as a person who was very interested in knowledge, he used to take notes. 
And for him, these notes were very important. So when, when he was going once from Neishabu to Tus, he was stopped by, you know, some thieves that in the past they used to stop groups, caravans, you know, uh, of course, if individual passengers, but even groups, they used to loot them, rob them. So they were checking properties and belongings of every person one by one. And when they reached the belongings of Ghazali, there was a, a pack. Ghazali said, please take everything, just don't touch this. They said, no, we want to see. They thought maybe it's something very uh, valuable, and, you know, something which is maybe gold or jewel. They opened, they're just papers with some notes on them. They said, what is this? Said, For you it's not important, but this is a result of many years of my study. Please don't touch it. And one of the thieves said something very important. He said, if your knowledge is on the paper, and then you can lose it, this is not knowledge. Knowledge must be in your mind, in your heart. And Ghazali says, I took great lesson from this. He has beautiful, uh, you know, experiences of life that you would see how much he was receiving attention from the public, even from the kings. But he was always trying to isolate himself and have a life of uh, spirituality. So, Ghazali wrote this book, Ihyao Ulum al-Din, several thousands of pages. Mullah Muhsin Faiz Kashani, several centuries after him. So, Ghazali died in 501, he was born in 450, 451, and he died in 501. After 500 years almost, chose this book as a very valuable book, but he found that it needs some extra work. I am sure you are familiar with Mullah Muhsan Faizah Karshan. He is one of our great scholars. He studied with important personalities like Sheikh al-Bahari, like Mir Damad, like Mullah Sadra. He married to daughter of Mullah Sadra. And he has books on tafsir. He has books on Hadith, and wafi is a great work that he has done on Hadith. He has many books on Aqaid, etc. Mullah Muhsan Faizah Kashani. His grave is in the shrine of Imam Raza salam in the basement. So Mullah Muhsan Faizah says that I found this book very valuable, but there are some issues that needed correction. And there are also something that could be summarized. And also, he says, I wanted to add some of the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, Ali Musalam. 
So, and also he said, I wanted to reintroduce this book. Therefore, he spent lots of time on producing Al-Mahajjatul Bayda Fi Tahzib Al-Ihya. And this is also interesting for us that our scholars 400 years ago they had such openness and we have many many cases that a Sunni comments on the Shia book like many Sunni scholars have commented on Tajreed by Khadja Nasir or a Shia comments on a book by a Sunni there was such openness we have stories of our ulama studying in cities where all the scholars were Sunni and vice versa Unfortunately, uh, recently we have this uh, bad habit of, you know, uh, takfiri movement. Otherwise, for most part, this was not the situation between Sunni and Shia. And I hope, inshallah, this unity can be promoted and can be established and become the norm everywhere. We can have our own ideas, but we can respect other and benefit from each other's heritage. So, this book, Mahajjatul Bayba, comes in eight volumes. He has divided this, like Ghazali, into four major parts. Al-Ibadat, about acts of worship. Al-Adat, about habits and then al-muhlikat and al-munjiyat those vicious traits of character that can destroy a human being and those things that can save a human being so in the eighth volume it has this section fil-mahabbate wal-shawte wal-unse wal-rida Unfortunately, Mahajjatul Bayda is not available in English, but Al-Ihya by Ghazali is available in English, so you can at least have part of it in English. And inshallah, I will try to explain. Just to give you a taste of this discussion, I share with you what is mentioned at the very beginning of this section. Uh, in the uh, rhetoric, in the science of rhetoric and balava, uh, they say there is a technique. One of the beauties of writing is this, that in the beginning of your book, you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make your you know, beginning of your sermon after hand and praising Allah, with words that relate to the subject. They call it istihlal. Means at the beginning, when you are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending salutation to the Prophet, you also make some hint about the topic. And it's so beautifully and so deeply written that uh, I think needs hours of discussion, just this paragraph. But I just quickly 
translate and inshallah we will start the discussion. He says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah al-Ladhi nazaha qulub awliyaahi anil iltifat ila mata'id dunya wa nabratihi. All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who emptied hearts of his awliya from love for dunya and love for the beauties and attractions of dunya. We have only one heart, whether you like it or not. We don't have two hearts, we have only one heart. If dunya captures our heart, there is no room for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala captures our heart, dunya has no attraction. You cannot have both dunya as something that gives you motivation and you know all the reasons for life and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala together. You have to choose one. As we have in Hadith Qudsi, Al-Qalbu Haram Allah. فَلَا تُسْكِنْ حَرَمَ اللَّهِ Our heart belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only place that we can welcome Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is heart. Even mind is not enough. Only heart. Allah says in another hadith Qudsi, لَا يَسَعُنِي أَرْضِي وَلَا سَمَانِي Neither a sky nor earth can contain me. Only the heart of my believing servant can host me, can contain me. So, it's a matter of heart. He says, Allah has emptied the heart of his awliya from attention to mata'ud dunya, goods of dunya, and the beauty of an attraction of dunya. Allah has cleaned and purified their inner selves from paying attention to anything other than his presence. If we really appreciate the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nothing else would be interesting to us. You know, imagine if you go to a gathering that our most beloved, you know, for example, personalities are there. Either Ma'asumin or, you know, our Maraje, our you know, great ulama are there. If there is such personality, we wouldn't then look around. We wouldn't look at, for example, you know, the uh, surroundings of that place or people who are in that place. We will try to focus our sight on that person. 
Awliyaullah who feel the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they don't look around and they don't pay attention to anything else unless as necessity yes sometimes as necessity you have to leave and come back but not that you wish to do so ثُمَّ اسْتَخْلَصَهَا لِلْعُكُوفِ عَلَى بِسَاطِ عِزَّتِهِ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has purified the hearts of his awliya for doing i'tikaf around his dignity. Imagine there is a besat. Besat is like, for example, you know, a table, a banquet. So, besat izzati. When they understand the izzah of Allah, they want to do okuf, they want to do i'tikaf, they don't want to go anywhere else. Then he says, Summa tajalla laha bi asma'ihi Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifests himself to them through his names and attributes. You know, we hear things but we may not appreciate. We hear Rahman, Rahim, Subbu, Quddus, all these beautiful names of Allah, all these Asma Husna. But if we are not prepared, we don't appreciate that much. It doesn't have deep impact on us. We hear, but our heart is not open. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifests himself through these names and these attributes to his lovers, then they would fall in love. They cannot hear these words without being overwhelmed. Me and you can easily hear hundred times Al-Wadud. And maybe we feel happy, but not very much overwhelmed. But a lover of Allah, if you say two, three times in front of him, Al-Wadud, he will be overwhelmed. He cannot cope with this. He says, it's too much. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would manifest, would have tajalli for his awliya, bi-asma'ihi wa sifatihi. Till their hearts will start illuminating with the lights of his ma'rifah. True ma'rifah for Allah illuminates our hearts. True ma'rifah. ثم كشف لها عن صبحات وجهه Then Allah unveils the purities and beauties of his face for them. He removes hijab which are before our eyes. He doesn't have hijab. We have hijab. For his lovers, he removes hijab from before their eyes. And then what happens? This is more than that tajalli. This is removal of hijab 
After that, Hattah Tarakat Benar Mahabbatahi. Then their hearts will be burnt with the fire of love. It's not just illuminating now, it becomes blaze of fire of love. But then what Allah does with his lovers is that for testing them and for also increasing their interest and also for letting them continue their life. So after showing himself to them, then he somehow hides himself. He doesn't always make himself available. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps a veil between them, him and themselves. Then they will be somehow perplexed. They are overwhelmed with the love of Allah, but Allah now has kept some veil after manifesting himself, after burning their heart with love. So that they realize with humbleness that they have to work harder. This doesn't let them to be praising themselves. Whenever they want to understand deeper the core the core the essence of allah then they cannot they realize that's too much for them like if you want to keep looking at sun you cannot keep looking at sun it's too much for them but on the other hand when they want to get despaired and say, it seems that there is blockage, I am not suitable, then Allah shows them a little bit more. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very much observing their condition. He shows himself, he attracts them, they fall in love, they go forward, but then he a little bit hides himself so that their interest increases, their humbleness increases, they work harder. When they want to get despaired, he doesn't let them get despaired, he shows himself again. This goes on and off till we are in this dunya, unless maybe for mukhlasi. Then he sends salutations to the Prophet and his companions and his household. Now, what inshallah we are going to do is we are going to have some discussion about significance of love or mahabba for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran and Hadith. And maybe today also I mentioned just two, three examples. And then inshallah after that we will talk about haqiqataha. What is the reality of love? Because many of us may think we have love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have love for Ahlul Bayt alayhi We have love for Imam Hussain alayhi salam. But the love of Allah and love for the sake of Allah has a reality. And this reality is not ambiguous. We can learn what is the reality of love and to test ourselves. 
and what are the causes of this love and then about the fact that only Allah deserves our love and anything which is godly not independent from Allah subhanahu wa and then about the fact that the greatest pleasure that human beings can get is if we can look at the face of Allah subhanahu wa of course not physical face the face of Allah which is mentioned in the Quran and also in Abrahamic religions and then about those things that strengthen love we will talk about these things and also why people are different why see some people's hearts seem to be more prepared or they more quickly can experience this some people seem they are very slow or they have some blockage and inshallah if there is time then we can talk about shawq and ons eagerness and acquaintance with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so to begin with as something that inshallah you can reflect but we cannot complete the first discussion i just mentioned something that we find in the quran about mahabba for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we have lots of beautiful hadith from different sources here but inshallah tomorrow we can discuss about the habit the hadith allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran that there are people that he loves them and they love him man yartadda minkum an dinih fasawfa ya'tillahu biqawmin yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbunah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says if any of you after embracing faith after becoming a believer wants to leave wants to go backward allah is going to bring a group of people it means that allah has no kind of promise which is unconditional to any nation that no matter what you do you are going to be pleasing to god allah is going to reward you you will have salvation no it's based on what you do and your practice any nation any nation cannot feel safe with respect to the consequences of their bad practices muslims christians jews whoever receives support of allah it's conditional if they change فَسَوْفَ يَأْتِ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمًا يُحَبُّهُمْ وَيُحَبُّونَ Allah will bring some people that they love Allah and Allah loves them. And, you know, there are here in the books of Tafsir reference to this hadith that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam referred to Salman that the people that this ayah is pointing to are the nation of Salman who were not at that time believers in Islam but later they believed and 
they actually, as we have in many hadiths, that Rasulullah said, you are going to fight them tanzil, and they are going to fight you back ta'wil. You are going to fight to make them accept Islam, or some of you, not that Rasulullah was recommending that, but means this is going to happen. You want to teach them tanzil, means the literal revelation, but they are going then to teach you ta'wil, the true understanding. In any case, yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbuna. This is my point. You can read more about this ayah in the books of tafsir. So it shows that this is such a great quality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the top of description, he says, فَسَوْفَ يَأْتِلَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ يُحِبُّهُمْ وَيُحِبُّونَ Allah loves them and they love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one ayah. Another ayah that again is very famous, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ Believers have greater love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Love for Allah must be greater than any love that we have. At least, <laughs> I say at least, because for awliyaullah, they don't have any other love. To begin with, we should love Allah more than our car, our house, our farm, our land, our business, our family. To begin with, we love Allah more than these things. But later, we should love these things under Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if something cannot be loved for the sake of Allah, we should leave it. <laughs> Not that, you know, you deceive yourself. Do everything and we say, for the sake of Allah. No. You have to see what you can love for the sake of Allah, then you love them. For sure, you love your fa father, mother, spouse, children, friends, for the sake of Allah, it's possible. For the sake of Allah. But love for children, love for family, love for business should not be independent from Allah, let alone greater than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, inshallah we will talk about this more tomorrow. Tonight is the night that in the history of Islam is very important. Not only is the beginning of uh, Islamic calendar, Islamic lunar year, but also many important incidents has happened in this night. And in tomorrow, which is the first day of Muharram. Imam Hussein alayhi salam, on his way from Mecca to what ended to be Karbala, although in the beginning the plan was not to go to Karbala, was to go to uh, Kufa after receiving invitations. But anyway, with the story that you know, it ended with a stationing in Karbala. Although this was known from before, but 
I'm talking on the surface, the plan was not to go except to Kufa. On the way, in this time, first of Muharram, Imam Hussain is stationed in a place which was known as Qasr Bani Muqatil. And it was there that Imam Hussain met Ubaidullah ibn Hurr al Jufi. And Imam was so kind that he invited Ubaidullah. Although, in general, this is a discussion that we have in our hadith that in general, Al Imamu Yu'ta Wala Ya'ti. There is a difference between Prophet and Imam. I don't want to go into that discussion. In general, people have to go and find the Imam. But he was so kind that he offered on many occasions to people on the way and also many times in Karbala, even on the day of Ashura, he offered this kind invitation. So that whoever has a little space in his heart can be changed, can be transformed. So he invited Ubaidullah ibn al-Hur al-Jufi, but as you know, unfortunately, he didn't accept, he didn't welcome. Also, we have something interesting, again, related to a story of Karbala. Many years later, it was the first of Muharram when Ibn Shabib met Imam Reza alayhi salam. And Shaykh al-Saduq rahmatullah in his Amali and also in Uyun Akhbar al-Raza quotes this hadith that Imam Reza alayhi salam asked Ibn Shabib, are you fasting? Based on this hadith, uh, we can understand that the fasting of the first day of Muharram is highly recommended. Fasting of the first day of also some other days. Not Tasu'a, not Ashura, but first, third, and seventh according to some hadith. So, Imam asked him, are you fasting? And mentioned how much reward is and benefit is for fasting the first day of Muharram and referred to the story of Imam Hussein alayhi salam and said that historical sentence Yabna Shabib, O son of Shabib, in kunta baqiyan ala shay fabki ala al If for any reason you are going to cry. Think of tragedy of Karbala and switch the reason of crying to the musiba of Imam Hussein alayhi salam. This is what I understand from this sentence. In kuntabakiyan. If you are going to cry for shade, for anything, fakke for Imam Hussein. Because any musibah compared to that is nothing. 
we human beings need to sometimes cry. Crying can be very healthy, of course, if you cry too much can be unhealthy. But crying sometimes is very healthy for body and for the soul. It has lots of advantage. If we can cry out of fear for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we can cry for the injustice that we see happening in the world. It's very good. But something that if you are crying for any calamity, any tragedy, can be the greatest reason for crying is crying for Imam Hussein alayhi salam. And Imam Raza alayhi salam after that mentions how Imam Hussein alayhi salam was killed that I don't want to mention now. So this not only I think gives you blessings of mourning for Abu Abdullah and lots of uh, you know reward that you get, but also I think has some psychological impact. Sometimes you know I have a little debt. I don't know. Uh, people have not been in good term with me. I have difficulty at home or in job. So I want to, you know, be alone and cry or I want, you know, very sad, very upset. But when I think of Abu Abdullah salam, and what he went through and what his family and companions went through, then for me all these things look little, look not significant. And if I still want to cry, let me cry for something which is worth crying. So not only you are getting to get reward and light for crying for Abu Abdullah, automatically you would find that your problems are not that great that they used to appear. I don't know, have you experienced this or not? Our uh, problems or even our you know happy and joyful occasions many times if I don't you know want to exaggerate I could say easily 99% but I can say to great extent at least they rely on your your internal condition let me give you examples if we have very delicious food, how much are you going to enjoy? How much pleasure are you going to get? You cannot say it just depends on the food and how well it is cooked and how delicious it is. That is one element. But it very much depends on your condition. If you are not in a good condition, you may not enjoy at all. If your physical health is not good, for example, if you have cold you may not feel any taste or if you are very busy with something or imagine you know god forbid you have received very bad news you have lost someone and then there is a delicious food you are not enjoying it's the same food but 
If you are happy, if you are relaxed, if you are with good people, people that you love their company, the pleasure goes very hard. Calamities are also like this. Sometimes I'm already tired, exhausted, and sad. Even a little thing can trigger me. Sometimes I am in a good mood, I am in a good condition, I am happy. I receive sad news, okay, alhamdulillah, we can still continue. So, good and bad incidents, they have some impact, but I can tell you, greatest part of impact, greatest factors are personal, are internal, not external. You can give someone everything from this world, still they don't enjoy, still they are not happy with their life, still they are suffering. And you can have someone who is very poor and ill and is very happy. It's very personal. I never forget once, I, many years ago maybe, maybe more than 20 years ago, I visited a family and they were poor. The children were asking father to give permission to take one cubic sugar and eat. We never, you know, take a cubic sugar as a sweet. You know, always with, if it is tea, we take it out and say kand. But these people were so poor that even taking one cubic sugar was like, you know, giving them a piece of cake. And still they had to take permission, it was not available to them. That child from that cubic sugar can get the pleasure that many children in rich countries would not get even if you give them the best cake. It's very much depending on your condition. So if we remember suffering of Abu Abdullah alayhi salam and calamity of Karbala and see how they dealt with and how they managed it, then we would realize that we should also be strong, we should also be patient, and we should not let small things, no matter how much great they may look in the first sight, destroy our resistance, destroy our resilience, destroy our power, destroy our integrity. So Imam Reza salam said, if you are going to cry for anything, cry for Imam Hussein alayhi salam. I would like to end with this poem, which is about actually beginning of Muharram. This is in Farsi and I will try also to Translate. Assalamu alaikum ya Abu Abdullah. 
زبایش و علنا را خواستم محرم نتونی که نگذرد دوی ما موزن اید که نگذرد دوی ما مزن It was brave decision of Imam Hassan that enabled us to witness this day. Karbala in Islam, amma to shahid bajke. Har duayi kardam aval Karbala ra khazdam. I was not able to be in Karbala this year. But you be witness that in every dua I wanted to visit Karbala. Shast shab as sob ta shab no karidan rozeha. Ta'an khordan sukhtan paye shumara khazdan. I wanted to be able to show my servitude. In Muharram and Safar for 60 days I am happy to receive any blame I am happy to receive and take any pain Garche na qabil tarazin arfa hastam wali Yek ziyawet arba'in pa'in para khastam Although I am not worthy, but I still ask for Tawfiq to visit Imam Hussein on the day of Arba'in and be close to his feet. As Najaf talk at Balapayafiyade Dastajam, Rose Khandan Bain In Sahnu Sarara Khastam. I am requesting Allah that we can go together for Al-Najab to Karbala on the feet and cry on the way, Masaib of Abu Abdullah. Ahle Alam, Dorad as Rahmah, Motam, Mirsad. Husayni ha, Ya Ali, Dorad, Muharram, Mirsad. We request Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to welcome us in this month of Muharram with prepared hearts. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive all our sins and remove any obstacles between us and Him. Oh Allah, please grant your shifa and healing to all brothers and sisters who are ill in any part of the world. Please send your Rahman Maghfara to all Mu'mineen and Mu'minat who have passed away, especially those who have rights upon us. Please bless those people who organize Majalis of Abu Abdullah, who attend this Majalis, who support this Majalis, who pray for the mourners of Abu Abdullah. Bihaqq Muhammadin wa al Muhammadin salawat.